When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question, did you wake up feeling dangerous this morning? (laughs) I did, in in true Baker Mayfield form. I woke up feeling real dangerous this morning, Joey. I was hoping you saw that and would get the reference there. I I trusted that you would, but if not, that would have gotten real weird real quick. Um. Mike, we got week 12 games to talk about. It's it's only Tuesday night. We uh, we made sure to be fashionably late here to the party, but we wanted to make sure we get this recap in. Um, it was a busy week 12 in the ACC. There were uh, some interesting game results. We'll start off by saying we both had a really good week picking. We both went five and uh, what was it five and three against the spread. That's a winning week. I'll take it. And we'll take it. We'll take it. All right. Mike, let's dig into these games without waiting too long. First off, the most important game of the weekend in the ACC, or just really nationally, the number three Notre Dame Fighting Irish, 36, the number 12 Syracuse Orange, one, two, three points uh, that they scored at the very, very, very end of the game. Uh, Yeah. So Syracuse was a trendy underdog pick, getting 10 points here at Yankee Stadium, and that fell apart real quick in this game. Uh, Notre Dame just absolutely, as we said, sat on them. Um, Eric Dungy goes down in the first quarter. That didn't help things, but we've also seen Syracuse good with Tommy DeVito, but not against this Notre Dame team. Notre Dame a clearly better team, and I think, as we discussed before, Syracuse may have been getting a little too big for their britches with this uh, number 12 ranking. We thought they were overranked, Joey. We talked about how they were ranked 12th in the college football playoff rankings entering Saturday, how we thought that was a little bit too high for Syracuse. That turned out to be absolutely the case. Uh, we also, or at least I outlined the argument that this is the best team that Syracuse has played all year. Not to say that Clemson is not outright better than Notre Dame, just that the circumstances were a little bit different. You know, Clemson lost Kelly Bryant to transfer in the week leading up to the Syracuse game earlier this year. Uh, They were starting Trevor Lawrence in his first college game. It was his first college start. Um, He went down early and Chase Bryce was a quarterback for really, you know, the rest of the game, like two and a half quarters worth of football for Chase Bryce. Um, And and it was a struggle for the Clemson offense there uh, in that game in Death Valley. The circumstances were a little bit different going into this game, obviously um, for, for Syracuse. Uh, it was a neutral site game uh, going into Yankee Stadium to play Notre Dame, but Notre Dame was fully healthy. Um, Ian Book was back from injury. He uh, missed the game against Florida State. Notre Dame didn't need him. They blow Florida State out with Brandon Wimbush back at quarterback. Uh, but Ian Book, um, it, it was said that he would be healthy heading into the game. He certainly looked that way. He took a couple hits, uh, bounced right back up, said he didn't even think about getting hurt. Uh, he was in a really good spot. Uh, and he played that way, going for over 270. 
in, in the game. He's tur- quickly turning into one of the best quarterbacks in college football, uh, but he's flying under the radar a little bit. He's um, he's top 10 in passer efficiency, passer rating. He's now second in the country in completion percentage. He's completing well over 72% of his passes this year. Uh, so Ian looks really, really good. Notre Dame's a completely different team with him. We talked about that uh, earlier this year on this podcast. Uh, Syracuse, like you mentioned, loses Eric Dungy in this game. Tommy DeVito comes in. Uh, it wasn't the be-all, end-all for Syracuse. They were already losing by a couple touchdowns when Eric Dungy got hurt. Uh, but you know, once Tommy DeVito came in, they weren't really able to move the football at all. Not that they were having a ton of success when Dungy was in there. They weren't, um, but they weren't having any DeVito. And that's not to say that Tommy DeVito is a huge step down from Eric Dungy. I think he's he's a small step down, but I think Tommy DeVito can do all the same stuff that Eric Dungy can do. Uh, it wasn't that long ago, Joey, that you and I were talking about Eric Dungy and whether or not he was going to keep a starting quarterback job. Um, that was about a month ago. So... Things turned quickly for Syracuse. They won a few games in a row, and they were talked about in a much different manner uh, than we had talked about them on this podcast uh, throughout the entire season. That Syracuse team that we saw on Saturday is the team that we've kind of been talking about all year long that, look, they're turning the corner. They're a lot better program now than they were three years ago when Dino Babers took this thing over, and he's got this thing heading in the right direction. But uh, they certainly were not good enough to beat Notre Dame on Saturday. That was abundantly clear. Um, Notre Dame is the much better team, much more experienced team defensively. They made it very difficult for Syracuse to move the football. And offensively, Notre Dame didn't really have much trouble. Um, one thing to watch for Notre Dame kind of the rest of the way, uh, they had some opportunities in the red zone they were unable to capitalize on. That's not going to fly, um, assuming they get past USC here. That's probably not going to fly in the college football playoff, uh, especially if they play a team like Clemson, who has red zone woes of their own, by the way. Um, They're having some issues scoring in the red zone as well at times. Um, A couple of these top teams are. So I keep an eye on red zone scoring here moving throughout the rest of the year. But uh, Notre Dame looked like a much better team here on Saturday, and Syracuse got exposed. Mike, you were talking about uh, Tommy DeVito coming in and filling in for Eric Dungy. And you're correct, he is the backup quarterback, and yet – I don't know how much worse than Eric Dungy he is. And let's put it this way. Eric Dungy finishes this game one for four for 10 yards and a pick. Tommy DeVito finishes it 14 for 31, 105 and two picks. Um, so it's not like Tommy DeVito had a, a total barn burner of a day. You know, he's, he especially didn't have a, a lot of luck running the ball in this game, but it doesn't seem like there's a major fall off there. And so I think Syracuse is in good hands moving forward with Tommy DeVito at quarterback. I This is pretty clearly the best Syracuse team that Dino Babers has had so far. They're fun to watch. They're getting better. It's just that I don't think that they're there yet. Um, and, that, and that's okay. You know, you're playing a Notre Dame team that is has been legitimately really, really good and has done a lot worse to probably some better teams throughout this year. Um, and so there's no shame in this loss. It, it, it sucks watching your team get beat down after being the number 12 team and being eight and two and all these things. But at the end of the day, there are there are bright days on the horizon for Syracuse. Um, it just it wasn't going to be in this day against this opponent in this spot. Uh, Notre Dame is, is like a freight train from hell right now, coming coming for people. Now, Mike, last thing before uh, I'm done here, uh, actually two more things before I'm done here. First of all, Notre Dame, one game left before they are uh, playoff bound. They are traveling to the Coliseum next week to take on the USC Trojans. They are a 10 and a half point road favorite. Unsolicited betting advice. 
you might want to take USC there because if there's a team that we really can't trust to not screw up when when the when the uh, the time is most you know necessary to uh, to get it right, it might be Notre Dame. So it, at the very least, it's going to be maybe a close game. I don't know, just maybe worth playing the odds there. It started at like eight and pretty quickly went up to ten and a half for Notre Dame. So keep that in mind. A, B, can we talk about the Syracuse drive chart in this game? Let's do a Punt. dramatic reading and true solid verbal style. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to steal other people's ideas, but uh, it's important hey, that we talk we gave about him credit. We gave yes, him credit. That's fair. That's fair. That's credit. Without being too dramatic here, though, punt, interception, punt, interception, punt, interception, punt, punt. In the second half, three and out, three and out, three and out. Miss field goal, field goal, and the field goal came with ten seconds left in the game. It was not a sight for sore eyes if you're a Syracuse fan in this game. So, um, hey. Syracuse, there's bright days ahead. Keep going. Um, but you're just not there yet. That's it. Good try. Good effort. I like it. Uh, Notre Dame, 36, Syracuse, 3. We'll move on, Mike. Florida State, 22, the number 20, Boston College Eagles, 21. I told you, Mike. I tried to tell you that Florida State was going to win this game, and I didn't know why. I didn't know how, and yet they found a way to pull it off. Uh, the Knolls get it done at home, and don't look now, but they are five and six with Florida coming to town for a rivalry game next week. The Knolls could salvage this bowl streak yet, and I don't somehow. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, the the funny thing about this, and I don't know, I think we did mention this on the preview. Sorry if we didn't, but. Uh, we, we talked about how the line was a little bit weird and I was texting you on Saturday morning and I was like, Hey, I'm putting my bets together. Let's bet on college football. Cause I knew you were drinking on Saturday morning. That was part of the reason why I was like, I'll just kill them into it. Let's, let's dilly dilly. Right. Dilly dilly. Exactly. Um, knew you were tailgating. I was like, Hey, bet college games with me. And you were like, all right, twist my arm. <laughs> um, so we're looking, we're looking at these lines. And I said, you know what? Look, BC, much better team. Uh, why is it a one point? Like, why is it a one point spread? Probably a trap. Uh, but I'm gonna bet it anyway. Uh, <laughs> newsflash it was a trap, and um, I got it wrong. And Florida State somehow pulls this game out. Uh, really ugly showing by the Boston College offense. Uh, gross defense played pretty well. Uh, you know, Florida State was just able to, uh, Florida State was just able to make a play there down the stretch. Uh, DeAndre Francois had his issues in this game. Boston College, I thought, did a pretty good job overall bottling him up. Um, they Florida State had some chunk plays that kind of inflated his stats a little bit. Um, went over 300 yards passing. Um, but it didn't really look like he was having all that much success doing it throughout the better part of this game. Um, but the chunk plays, you know, eventually caught up to Boston College in this game. Uh, Tamara and Terry, of course, with the, with the touchdown catch there to seal the thing up. Um, and, and, you know, seal to come from behind victory for Florida State there in the final minutes. But uh, really strange game here. Uh, BC not being able to get it done on the road against a bad Florida State game. It, Florida State team is not a good look uh, for the Eagles. Not one bit, especially coming off that Clemson loss, which I thought they played decently in, um, even though the offense couldn't get the job done. But now this is the second straight week where the offense hasn't really looked all that good, Joey. And this is a Florida State defense that we've talked about for most of the year has been like very quietly average to above average. And, you know, the offense has stolen all the talk. The Florida State defense stepped up and bottled up this Boston College offense. And 
is it now time for me to have questions about the Boston College Eagles offense again? Like, are we doing that again here late in the year? I, I don't know. It's a weird conference this year. Right on schedule. Yep, without a doubt. Um, Mike, this was this was a little bit of a tale of two games. Let's let's start by saying this, and something that you kind of alluded to. Florida State had a hell of a time trying to be any level of efficient in this game. They pretty much lived and died on offense with a few big plays here and there. Um, you know, they they really struggled to consistently move the ball, which which makes sense, right? They they haven't run the ball all that particularly well all year. Uh, Boston College's defensive front pretty clearly, you know, a, a better unit than Florida State's offensive front. Um, and so they, they really had to have a few chunk plays to, to give themselves a chance in this game. Put it this way, Florida State's two touchdown drives, five plays, 85 yards, three plays, 87 yards. Like that, that was how Florida State was getting in in the end zone this game. Um, they, they managed to get it done somehow. Um, it's a little bit beyond me how, but they, they did. Um, I do want to talk about, speaking of obscene drive charts, um, these two teams in the first half, Mike, and, and cover the ears of your children if, if you have any around, uh, miss field goal, punt, punt, interception, interception, miss field goal, punt, punt, interception, turnover on downs, field goal, interception, punt, touchdown, field goal, end of half. So it's like it got acceptable towards the end, but after before that, my goodness, there was a lot of ineptitude on that <laughs> drive chart. Um, it got a little bit better after halftime. There was a lot more back and forth and some bigger plays and these kinds of things. But overall, I mean, Florida State lives and dies by the explosive play here in this game. Luckily, they they found a way to live by it. Um, and again, they find themselves at five and six. Boston College now at seven and four. And I mean, that's kind of where we were thinking they might be. It's kind of right back where they have been. It sucks to see that they can't really parlay this Anthony Brown, A.J. Dillon thing into a a stronger finish, but I mean, it's not bad, I guess. I don't know. What, how do we feel about Steve Adazio after, a, you know, if, if they go to, they got Syracuse coming to town next week, maybe you win that game, you're eight and four, maybe you lose it and you're eight and five or, or you, you lose it and you're seven and five, excuse me. I, I mean, Mike, how are we feeling about Steve Adazio right now, given what we expected from this team coming into the season and like where they're at at this point? At this point, good with them probably. Now, the the one thing that I will say is that you remember before the season started, Boston College was a trendy pick to push Clemson, mm-hmm. and it didn't look like they were going to do that early. And then there was a buildup in the middle of the year where they started approaching that threshold um, that a lot of people thought they would reach where they were like this really good team in the ACC. Right. But it turns out they're just like a slightly above average team, a really bad conference. Um, And you're starting to see that now the last two games where, okay, you beat, you lose to war machine Clemson at home, uh, but you hung in there defensively for a little while. And then now you go to Florida state and you're not able to beat a bad Florida state team in Tallahassee, a team, by the way, that is, has been, an issue in the Atlantic division for a while for Boston college. Right. And even in Florida state's worst year in quite a while, Boston college has, was not able to get the job done against Florida state. I get the BC beat them last year, but being unable to beat this opponent when everybody's expecting you to win, even if you went in there as a, as an underdog or in some places you were a one point favorite, 
regardless, BC was seen as the much better team than Florida State across the board and was not able to get the job done. And that, that's a problem for me, um, especially in a really down year for Florida State. So we're in this weird spot with Boston College where maybe they're not quite the team everybody expected that they would be at the beginning of the year. Maybe they reached that point before Clemson. And now you're seeing the drop off at the end of the year, especially if they lose to Syracuse this Saturday. That's when things could get a little bit weird. Now, if they beat if they beat Syracuse, they finish a year eight and four. They go to a bowl game. We'll find out the bowl matchup. They win said bowl game and they're nine and four. Then we're talking about the season in a completely different light. We're talking about BC being, you know, a, a really solid program. Uh, we're talking about what Steve Adazio has built. Finally, the offense is coming around to match the defense. And that's the conversations we're going to start having about the program. That's just the way the context works. And I think that's where, where we're heading. If Boston College wins this coming Saturday and then is able to finish the drill and win a bowl game, get to nine wins. Let me put it this way. And it, it what kind of gets me here is the way that we talk about the Atlantic Division and, and in general, you know, kind of the stature and the standing of these programs in the division if Boston College loses to Syracuse on Saturday, they'll finish the season four and four in conference, fourth in their division, and that's ahead of Florida State and Louisville. They will have found a way to finish behind both Syracuse and NC State in a year that was thought to be like dark horse to go to Charlotte and win the conference, you know, and it's like that's I don't know, that's a tough pill to swallow and to think that this this could potentially be the Boston College ceiling under Steve Adazio. It's I don't know how I feel about that if I'm a Boston College fan. Um, it's it's concerning to me, I would say. It feels like Boston College should be able to do a little bit more than that, but I, you know, maybe that's not fair, and maybe uh, maybe this is really a, a pretty strong version of this program. I don't really know. Um, Mike, anything else before we move on? No. Florida State 22, Boston College 21. Let's move on, Mike. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 30. Virginia 27 in overtime. I mentioned on the preview, Mike, and I, I want to I want credit for this because it was a damn good day that I, I took Virginia plus the five and a half. And I said, you know, I'm not I really can't trust this Georgia Tech team. What I'm going to hope for is that Virginia covers five and a half and that Georgia Tech wins because either way, I'm going to win uh, Georgia Tech. If they win, I win my over six wins in the regular season bet. If Virginia wins, well, at least I got my pick right. Or if Virginia wins or covers but does not win, I win both. And boy, did I. Uh, Virginia covers five and a half. Boy, did you. Georgia Tech covers or uh, wins the game outright. Uh, they go over the season win total somehow after being uh, one and three. They have won six of their last seven games, and they are now uh, seven and four headed to Athens. Um, good win from Georgia Tech. Overall, super weird game. Georgia Tech basically won this game on special teams. And I'm not going to go into details because we're going to go into my favorite detail a little bit later. But Wesley Wells, freshman, true freshman walk-on kicker, goes four for four on field goals. He has not yet missed a kick, either field goal or extra point. Um, he's really kind of the hero of this game. Georgia Tech on offense had a hell of a time trying to move the ball against Virginia's defense. Um, I was really impressed with their with Virginia's defense in this game. Uh, gave Georgia Tech a lot of issues. Um, Virginia offensively had no issues moving the ball for the most part in the first half, and then Georgia Tech's defense looked a lot better after halftime. 
Um, it was a it was a good resilient win for the Yellow Jackets here. It was definitely a weird game. And Mike, I told you I'm going to quiz you on this, and I, I did not give you the answer before we came on here. You look at the scoreboard. You look at some of the stats here. You know that S and P Plus assigns a win probability to each team in any given game based on the stats of the game. What would you guess was Georgia Tech's win probability per S and P Plus in this game? Less than twenty percent. Keep going. Less than ten percent. Keep going. Less than five percent. Keep going. Three percent. Keep going. Two percent. Keep going. One percent. Georgia Tech had a 1% chance of winning this game by S&P Plus, <laughs> and they did. I uh, Hey, when, if you find a way to win games like that, you know, you're, you're going to end up with a uh, pretty satisfying season. Um, I, I thought offensively they were fine. Biggest issue was the passing game. Taquan Marshall did not look comfortable throwing the ball. He had one completion on eight attempts. It was a critical 37-yard pass to Brad Stewart that Brad Stewart made a brilliant catch on. Um, it was a, a full extension diving catch that there wasn't even a question of did the ball hit the ground. I mean, it was a it was a really impressive move by the senior on senior day. But Taquan Marshall not comfortable throwing the ball. Passes were not on time, that kind of thing. And that, that will be this team's Achilles heel against any team that can uh, can slow up and cause problems in the run game. So really impressive that Georgia Tech got this one done, but uh, was also really impressed with Virginia. They, they pretty much outplayed Georgia Tech in this game, and, and unfortunately were not able to come up with a win. Uh, super weird game. I, I agree. <laughs> the passing game was an issue, and it's been an issue. Um, I, ironically enough, was not an issue a week ago uh, against Miami, but was an issue against U. Yeah, so it's weird how the world works. Uh, it went to overtime. You know, you were there, which is great, and they were able to pull out the win. So awesome. Um, man, I, I come away from this game looking at Virginia, and I'm like, ooh, man, they played Georgia Tech really close and probably should have beat them. Georgia Tech beat Virginia Tech by a lot of touchdowns in Blacksburg. Virginia's coming to town looking to break a 14-game losing streak against Virginia Tech this Friday. And I am very nervous, Joey. Mm-hmm. That's my takeaway. I'm real nervous. Yeah, we're going to talk about Virginia Tech here in just a second. But I, if I'm a Hokies fan, I'm, I'm really just hoping that this is one of those uh, Virginia Tech owning real estate in the Virginia headspace kind of games because – just objectively looking at these teams, the Hoos are a better team right now by they are. by a noticeable margin um, on basically all fronts. And I, so you better hope that this is going to get in their head of the, the fact that they haven't won this game in like, you know, damn near driving age years. Um, but because if not, I, I mean, this is, uh, this is going to be an emphatic ending of the streak. Yeah, it's going to be, well, we'll see. But a good win for Georgia Tech. Uh, they get their rampant mid-October slash all the way through November so far. Win streak, and they, uh, they look good. I don't know. It's going to be a tough one against Georgia in the rivalry game. We know that. Georgia's really good. But for Georgia Tech to really come out of nowhere, a team that was kind of sputtering uh, in the middle of the year, we had – uh, Lauren Brownlow on. We were talking about how Georgia Tech was in really bad shape. What would happen with Paul Johnson? 
and all of a sudden Georgia Tech rolls off a bunch of wins in a row. They are now at seven wins. Uh, looks like you know they could get to eight depending on who their bowl opponent is. I don't see them beating Georgia. We'll, we'll talk about it in the preview. Don't see them beating Georgia, but for them to get to seven wins in the regular season considering where they were at about a month ago is impressive. And it's quite the turnaround, particularly by the defense, and I think that that's been the calling card for them. Um, the defense has really improved under Nate Woody. As the season has gone on, I think the players have clearly become more comfortable with the new scheme. And um, I think that's shown up in, you know, both on the field and the box score with with more W's. So a good win for Georgia Tech. Not a great loss for Virginia, considering they led for or at least they were going to win this game a majority of the time. And then they weren't able to get it done and it was an overtime, but they'll be all right. Yeah, biggest thing, biggest changes I've seen in Georgia Tech, as you mentioned, are the defense, and then the other big one being the offensive line getting healthy and being more productive. There's been a couple of personnel changes up there that I think have maybe made a difference too. So that that helps. But yeah, at the end of the day, this is this is a good win. You know, a, a um, comforting win to see Georgia Tech pull one out. You know, I really thought that they were going to find a way to lose in heartbreaking fashion because I am nothing if not a an absolutely traumatized. Uh, broken Atlanta sports fan at this point. But, um, yeah, Georgia Tech, this game goes to overtime. They kick a field goal, uh, you know, if they're at the beginning of overtime and then Virginia comes back, tries to go for a field goal and just absolutely yanks it um, in, in their half of overtime, and the Jackets won. And it was a great win on senior day. They they uh, finished ACC play at, uh, I believe, 5-3, and three, and um, it's – just really impressive given where they were again, like six weeks ago uh, for this team to rally the way they have has been really impressive. So really good day for Georgia tech. And uh, I enjoyed watching. I'm glad I could be there and, and uh, celebrate with the team a little bit, but Georgia tech 30, Virginia 27. Let's move on Mike to, uh, we need to move on and don't, I, I know, I know uh, Miami 38, Virginia tech 14. Um. I, I could say some stuff about this game, and we texted a little bit about it, and I, I've kind of watched some film. But Mike, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hand it over to you. Uh, how are we doing? Good. Good, doing great. It's been a great year so far. Mm -hmm. um, really proud of my alma mater. <laughs> That's where yeah. I'm at. Um, yeah. So, uh, started okay. Um, you know, they score early. Ryan Willis throws a touchdown pass. Things are looking up. Until they weren't. Um, offense was okay. And then halftime happened. And then the third quarter happened. And then you miss a field goal. You give up a punt return for a touchdown. You give up some chunk plays on defense. All of a sudden, your offense decides that they don't want to move the football anymore, which is something that we've seen a couple different times this year. Like the Boston College game, for example, Virginia Tech had less than 20 yards of offense in the third quarter of that game. You come to this game against Miami, Virginia Tech can't get out of their own way. Uh, this has been a problem all year. Now you got guys transferring. Rico Carney, who is a reserve linebacker, who was getting a decent amount of playing time in a rotational role, decides he's going to transfer. You have Sean Savoy, one of the leading receivers off of last year's team as a freshman who, as a lot of Virginia Tech fans know, has fallen out of favor with the coaching staff to a degree, uh, but is still seeing a lot of playing time this year. Um, he decides he's going to transfer as well, and um, there are more coming. 
Joey. I tweeted this. A lot of people are asking me if it's speculation or not. For those of you who listen to the podcast and follow me on Twitter, you probably know by now that that is not speculation. There are more players who will transfer. It's coming. Um, a couple of prominent ones, too. So keep an eye on that. I don't, you know, we'll, we'll see it unfold here over the next couple of weeks. But what does this mean, right? So Virginia Tech loses 38 to 14. Uh, something of note that we talked about last week, uh, Virginia Tech has a tentative game scheduled for the weekend of the ACC championships. So that's coming up in about a week and a half as we record here on the 20th of November, uh, December 1st. Uh, if Virginia Tech beats UVA this Saturday, they will schedule a tentative uh, 12th game against Marshall uh, for December 1st in in light of the ability to become bowl eligible, which Joey, I have ripped and ripped and ripped. I ripped it last year for Florida State, talking about how making a bowl game is just garbage fodder for the marketing department. I think that is still the case. Congratulations to sports marketing. You have a chance to go to a bowl game. I think what could happen here is Virginia Tech, maybe they win the rival. 15th straight year. Won't put it past them. They barely won the rivalry game the last few years, but they figured out how to pull it out. They have a team that's far worse than any of those teams, and Virginia's got a team that's far better. So I'm, I'm not expecting a win in Blacksburg this Friday for my Hokies, but let's say they pull it out, Joey. And let's say they play a Marshall team that beat Old Dominion by 22 points. Uh, Virginia Tech couldn't stop Old Dominion, Joey. And Marshall coming to town, oh boy. Uh, shouldn't be scared of Marshall except uh, the Virginia Tech defense can't stop a nosebleed, and Marshall can roll up some points. So let's say Virginia Tech beats UVA and then welcomes Marshall to town. How embarrassing would it be in the 12th game of the year to say, hey, we want to win this game, become bowl eligible, and then you get rolled by Marshall? Um, mm. Don't put that out of the realm of possibility. You could totally see that coming with this team and in this spot. Marshall's not very good, but neither is Virginia Tech. And... Um, yeah, keep that in mind. I'd rather not even play the 12th game. Let's end this thing. Virginia Tech's been atrocious all year long. I don't want to watch this football team anymore, Joey. Um, they've been really bad. But it's a bit. Uh, they're real bad. Um, can't watch it anymore, to be honest with you. Uh, offense hits a wall after the first half. It's been an issue all year long. Um, I'll allude to their third quarter statistic a little bit later in the segment. Uh, that we have at the end of the podcast. Got a really good one from David Teal of the Daily Press down in Newport News, Virginia. So, yeah, Virginia Tech's been really bad on offense. They've been atrocious on defense. And the one last thing I'll add, Joey, Virginia Tech has not had a competent run game since the 2011 season. We've talked about this a little bit on this podcast in the past, that Virginia Tech has really struggled to run the football here um, over the, the, the better part of the last seven or eight years. The issue here is that when Virginia Tech doesn't run the ball, they've been able to supplement it with an average to above average passing attack and an excellent defense. A couple things that's, that are happening this year. Number one, the rushing game still sucks, and it has sucked under Justin Fuente, and it was really bad under the final years of Frank Beamer. Running game's real bad. Passing game, not great, right? So you have an average to below average offense, and you have one of the worst defense that, defenses that Virginia Tech has had in the last 25 or 30 years. You add those two things together, average to below average offense, a way below average defense, and this is the season you get. You get a four-win season where you can't beat an FBS opponent to save your life. This is where we're at. Yeah, it's not good right now. Ran over. Ran over. You good? Anything yeah, else? no, I'm, I, hey, no, you, you pretty much covered it. I, I was just going to say, Mike, the, the things that – 
we talked about today was that Virginia Tech basically outplayed Miami in the first half of this game. Um, they were down 17 to 14, but one of the touchdowns that Miami scored was a gimme. I mean, it was a bad interception that Ryan Francis threw. Miami goes one play for three yards to score a touchdown. I, I mean, that so it was an easy one. Other than that, it was 17-14 at halftime. Virginia Tech very much in the game and was outplaying Miami. And then after halftime, the whole thing fell apart. Miami comes out and goes three and out. And then Virginia Tech, this is when the calamity of errors really started. They miss a field goal. Miami runs down and scores a touchdown. Then Virginia Tech, four plays, fumble. Uh, they force another three and out. And then they, uh, they gave up a punt return for a touchdown. Next thing you know, by the end of the third quarter, it's 38 to 14. The game has totally gotten away from them. And and the thing that that really gets me as much as anything, Mike, and we've talked about how weird this season has been for Virginia Tech, a, a team that traditionally has had a really, really good defense. And this year it has been a, a really trying effort, we'll say. Um, as much as that's all the case, Virginia Tech, more than anything, I think college football wide is known for what we call quote unquote Beamer ball great special teams, their special teams has been awful. And, and and really they had a couple of real major special teams gaps in this game that did not help things at all. You gave up a punt return touchdown uh, to Jeff Thomas. You had another long punt return by Jeff Thomas. You had a missed field goal. There, there were a lot of these miscues that Virginia Tech normally would not have uh, been giving up that is the kind of thing that lets these games really get away from you faster than they should. Um, and, and I'm, it, my my big thought on Virginia Tech right now is that I think next year is a really, really critical one for Justin Fuente. He had a really good first year with some guys that all pretty immediately left and went to the NFL. Last year, they go nine and four, which sounds really good, but it it kind of felt like an empty nine and four. Something that we talked about for a while was, you know, did they really beat anybody good? They had a couple, maybe, but there was kind of losses in any game that seemed like it was a really meaningful, impactful game. Now you come into this year, and it's a total loss of a season. You know, they, they've beaten Florida State, Duke, and North Carolina, but they, they've lost, again, what, six of their last eight games, and it, it's really spiraling at this point on them. If you can't beat Virginia and Marshall and retain bowl eligibility, I think next year is absolutely critical for Justin Fuente to show some progress in getting this thing back on the rails. Because if not, it's weird to think that this, what we thought was a perfect marriage three years ago, could start to look really bleak and, and, and doomed. Um, I don't know. I, I am I was totally caught off guard by this season for Virginia Tech. I mean, obviously a lot of defensive attrition and, and issues there have, have not helped, but I mean, offensively, there's been most of the pieces in place, and they have not been able to make it work on the way that I thought they would, seeing what Fuente has done, at, again, his previous stops at Memphis and TCU. So just a, a, a discouraging look for Virginia Tech. I, I really was hoping they were going to put up a better showing here at home, needing a win badly against the Miami team. It's been pretty lackluster, and I think I've lost four in a row, but it just wasn't the case. And now uh, their bowl streak 100% on the line next week as they got Virginia coming to town. Great. <laughs> okay, we should move on. Uh, Miami 30, Virginia Tech 14. Uh, we'll move on. Pitt 34, Wake Forest 13. Come on, Deeks. I thought you had this. I really thought they had it, uh, and then they didn't. Narrator, they didn't. They did not. Um, Pitt locks up the ACC Coastal Division. They're going to go to Charlotte and play against Clemson. 
if we can call it playing against Clemson, they're going to show up and occupy the same field as Clemson. And, um, you know, that Space Jam bench reference I made a few weeks ago where they're all like just dying and, and suffering from the most gruesome injuries you can imagine. That's that's probably what the pit sideline is going to look in that game. But in any case, for now, they're the, the Coastal Champs, Mike. And uh, Kenny Pickett threw for 300 yards in this game. And I – if you had told me that before this game, I, I mean, it's not that I think Wake Forest defense is all that good, but Kenny Pickett had not had a 200-yard game this year and now has a 300-yard game, three touchdowns, no picks, noted air raid quarterback Kenny Pickett. Uh, good game for him. Wake did a pretty decent job of bottling up the Pittsburgh running attack. They they barely had more than three yards per carry in this game over the uh, long run. Kadri Allison, Darren Hall – finished short of 100 combined rushing yards. That's more than a lot of teams can say about those guys this year, but uh, just not quite enough. Wake only gets 13 points on the board um, and, and just uh, not really able to parlay some of those good good moments into a uh, even a competitive game here. Okay, stay with me here. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Kenny Pickett, but in a big 12 offense. No? Mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that either. Uh, but he threw for 300 yards, right? So good for him. That's – yeah, it's – I mean, it's progress, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, Wake Forest. A uh, little bit of a hangover after that NC State win, huh? Just a little bit. Just oh. a little bit. Whoa. Uh, by the way, Mike. That was ugly. This is only – this is only Kenny Pickett's second career 200-yard passing game. And I would tell you who the other team was it was against, but we don't have to talk about that right now. Let's just move on. It was yeah, I'm good. it was probably Virginia Tech. It's fine. Yeah. That that's that's fine. Um slowly tighten Keep going. No. <laughs> um yeah. It's it's bad. So uh, Kenny Pickett found a way to throw Pittsburgh to a victory, which I by the way Look, they might not have to throw it that much to beat Miami. I get to get back in for Miami. We'll preview it later. Um, Kenny Pickett's not going to have to throw the ball that much, in theory, to beat Miami, in theory. Um, certainly, it's not going to matter what he does in the Clemson game because that's going to be over in a hurry. Uh, don't know about the bowl game. We'll find that out later. But Kenny Pickett, the passer, may be of major help next year when Pittsburgh loses both and, um and Darren Hall uh, to graduation. So we don't know what Pitt's running game is going to look like next year. They may have to rely on Kenny Pickett a little bit more heavily than they've needed to over the first couple of years. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, don't have a ton more to say about this. Wake Forest just came out real flat, and they got sat on. Well, here's where the game turned, Mike. Wake actually led this game at halftime. They were up 10-6. to six. The problem is that the Deeks came out at halftime – Three straight drives, three and out. Three plays, five yards punt. Three plays, negative two yards punt. Three plays, five yards punt. Uh, in the meantime, by the time Wake had the ball for the fourth time in the second half, their 10-6 to six lead turned into a 20-10 to 10 deficit. And they they kick a field goal to make it 20-13, to 13, and it just – they never quite were able to uh, to pull, pull any uh, closer. I, I mean, that's where they kind of lost the game. Yeah, I mean, good effort, and – 
really impressive showing for a defense that hasn't been all that good to uh, to kind of stifle the pit running game a little bit here, more than a lot of teams have been able to. But at the end of the day, yeah, you gave up a 300-yard passing game to Kenny Pickett, which you're founding that club. Uh, I, nobody else has done that in, in college football history. So you're, you're founding that club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Congratulations, Wake. You get the first jacket. So uh, take that to the bank, I guess. I don't know. Not uh, not great. Not a great chance at uh, or not a, a good response to an opportunity here from Wake Forest. Once again, Pittsburgh winning the Coastal Division. I I maintain that Pitt is not a particularly good team, and I, I at this point I might be approaching just hater status maybe, but I I maintain that Pitt is not a particularly good team. Somebody you're allowed to at me if you think I'm wrong. I am at Mike McDaniel CFB on Twitter. Um. Not really. Anybody. Uh, Pittsburgh 34, Wake Forest 13. We'll move on. Number two, Clemson 35, Duke 6, ho-hum. Uh, Duke just not not quite. Not quite. Um, Clemson just continues to roll. And it's – I mean, this, this was a little bit problematic for the Tigers in the first half. Uh, Duke at one point up six to nothing. Clemson only has a 14 to six halftime lead. And then in the second half, they go touchdown, 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 three and out end of game. Um, they, they really just turned on the jets coming out of halftime and, and put this one away and they cover 28 and a half. Barely. Yes, they, they did. It's almost like Dabo went in halftime. He was like, all right, guys, let's go blow them out now. And they were like, oh, okay. All right, let's do it. All right. And for real this time. Yeah, we can, we can grab a couple beers afterwards. It'll be a lot of fun. And and they all said, okay, let's do it. And then they went out the second half and blew the doors off of Duke. Like, Duke was like, hey, real happy to be here. And Clemson's like, yeah, we're real happy you guys are here too. You know, uh, congratulations <laughs> on everything you've accomplished in the Coastal this year and hanging around. Um, but, you know, Pitt won earlier today, so you guys are officially eliminated from Coastal Convention. Um, so you don't have to try anymore in this game. And then Duke said, okay, and then Clemson blew them out, blew them out the stadium. And that's what happened. Um, and that's what I want to think happened. And uh, Coach Cut is like, you know, after a game, he's like searching for answers. He's like, yeah, Clemson, that's a really good football team over there. It's like, yeah, you think? Um, shout out to Clemson for covering the spread, though. That's really all I care about. It's a good cover. Um, here's the weird thing about Great cover. Here's the weird thing about Duke, Mike, is that Duke currently three and four in ACC play, but seven and four overall. And I would normally say, well, that's because Duke doesn't schedule anybody in the non-conference. Except they have wins against Army, who's nine and two, Northwestern, who's the Big Ten West champs, and Baylor, who's approaching bowl eligibility. So they actually did schedule pretty decently out of conference and somehow couldn't win in conference because the ACC is a powerhouse conference this year? Go with that. Let's go with that. They're good, I think. Sometimes. They got blown out by Virginia Tech. That tells you about all you need to know about Duke. <laughs> Your opinion of Duke has only gotten more and more solidified since that game, I think. Oh, they're a, they're a really gross football team. They're they're the um, they're the Syracuse version of uh, they're they're the Syracuse version in the Coastal Division. It's what Duke is. Mm -hmm. except they haven't won nearly as many close games as Syracuse has this year. That's the only difference between the two teams. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. Thanks. Clemson 35, Duke 6. 
Let's move on. NC State 52, Louisville 10. NC State just does what we expect them to do. Louisville does not get the bye-bye Bobby bump. And I think, honestly, just Louisville Cardinal games might just be kind of sad to watch at this point. Uh, Louisville lost one for the Gipper. That's they, they where did. They did. Um, good try. I would not put it past Louisville to come out in like a post-game press conference and say, we lost this one in honor of Bobby Petrino. And true, we, we Petrino'd it. You know, it's it's kind of our thing. We 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 wanted to go out and win, but then we Petrino'd it. And that's just all hell broke loose. It was, yeah. a, it was a hell of a try. We'll give it a good college try, and then we'll go out there, and we'll get stomped by just lost to Wake Forest. Sure. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. And then they did. They got smoked. Yeah, not great. Um, oh, NC State just rolls in this game. I mean, it was, again, 52 to 10. It was never really all that close. It was 17 to 3 at halftime, which maybe makes it look competitive. But after after that, it quickly becomes 45 to 3 by early in the fourth quarter. I mean, Louisville is quite done. Let me see. I think they're only like a 17-point underdog to Kentucky. You might just want to unload on the Wildcats there, sadly enough. Fade Louisville. You've been saying it for weeks. Fade Louisville. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There, I mean, I think everybody thinks they're supposed to be better than they are. and In some ways, they are supposed to be better, but they're just objectively not at this point. Louisville's so done. They're 2-9, and nine, Mike. I mean, they've lost uh, – what have they lost? Eight games in a row – and only one of them was by a single score or less than what, like less than two touchdowns, I guess. They lost to Florida State, and that was really where the whole thing turned, and it, it has gotten out of hand quickly. Fade the cards. Fade the cards, for sure. NC State, 52, Louisville, 10. We'll move on. Last game, Mike, North Carolina, 49, Western Carolina. The Catamounts, 26 points. Uh, what North Carolina does not cover 31 in this game. This game did start to get a little bit sideways early on in the first quarter. Uh, Western Carolina took a seven, nothing lead at one point, And then by halftime, North Carolina is up 35 to 16. So it was only ever so in question and it wasn't really in question at all. Yeah, this is, uh, the North Carolina cruise control game, which you don't get very often for what it's worth. But, um, yeah, this game, the outcome was never really in question. Uh, like you said, it was a blowout at halftime. Um, North Carolina scores a couple more times in the second half. Uh, Western Carolina makes it interesting, like interesting by a spread perspective, not, not from a game perspective. A uh, game was over quickly. Uh, but for a spread perspective, uh, Western Carolina made it very interesting in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, I mean, shout North Carolina going out, leaving very little doubt that they would win this football game. Um, and they've been a team that I think has been snake bit to a degree this year. I, I, I know it's nothing in comparison to last year when the whole team was hurt, but they've lost a lot of really close games this year. It, it reminds me of Georgia Tech a year ago, quite honestly, um, where Georgia Tech is on the wrong end of a lot of games. I thought they should have won. That's been North Carolina for the better part of this season, and for them to uh, leave very little doubt in this game against Western Carolina, a team that they are far superior uh, a team that are far superior than um, is a relatively encouraging sign. I don't know if it's enough for Larry Fedora to keep his job or not keep his job. I mean, we'll find that out at a later date. Um, 
don't think North Carolina necessarily wants to pay that buyout money, but these schools always find a way to to muster up enough funds to get a coach out if they need to. So we'll we'll see what happens here. Really curious to see how that turns out because, yeah, a lot of money, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of urgency to get rid of him, but the last two years' track record seems very concerning if I'm a UNC fan. Um, maybe the biggest downside to UNC in this game is they do give up 433 yards to Western Carolina, but it seems like a lot of those were in the second half where UNC just sort of playing, uh, you know, keep everybody in front of you and, and don't let a whole lot happen. I mean, they, they really shortened the game after halftime in a lot of ways. Um, at one point they were up 49 to 19. And so it's just probably not a lot to take from that, but maybe would have liked to see a bit more effort and, and results on the defensive side of the ball than that. But other than that, I mean, just ho-hum, easy win for North Carolina. So 49-26. Mike, that's all we got in terms of games. we got a couple of awards to give out. The Brian Van Gordon Memorial You Tried Award, you just referenced this a minute ago, goes to our beloved Louisville Cardinals. Yeah, it does. And I mentioned they lost one for the Gipper. The Brian Van Gorder You Tried Award goes to Louisville's win one for the Gipper effort uh, in this game against NC State. That fell flat on its face. Oh, Bobby Petrino's gone. Let's win w- one more for him and let's see what happens. It's the first game without him. Let's muster up all this courage. And then, oh my God, look what happened. Like, you almost got it done, Louisville. They did, yeah. They did keep it within six touchdowns. That's That's the upside. They did. Um, and Brian Van Gorder is still employed for the time being. Uh, won't be at season's end, but is for the time being. And that's great for the podcast. What a time to be alive. Kentucky minus 17, by the way. Go go get that right now before it goes up. Yeah. Um, Benny I, Snell already, I was going to say Benny Snell already has three rushing touchdowns. <laughs> He's currently trying to figure out how how uh, how long he wants those rushing touchdowns to be. He's like, I you know, let's get one from like four yards, maybe one from about twenty five, and I think I need one for the highlight reel from like sixty eight yards, you know, something like that. You know, get a, get a lengthy one in there. Um, that's, yep. He's kind of measuring it up at this point. So, yep. uh, good on you, Louisville. You tried to win one for the Gipper. You almost did, and then you didn't. Uh, Mike, dumpster fire of the week. It's going to stay with your boys in Blacksburg. There are halftime adjustments. Let's just say there is a, a stat that you referenced earlier that you, you didn't really give out, but it is really um, concerning about the Hokies in terms of how well they do or don't make halftime adjustments. Yeah, they haven't really made halftime adjustments really all year, at least. They haven't been doing that well, and that's just to the naked eye. And then you take a little bit of a deep dive into statistics, Joey. Virginia Tech, in the last four games in the third quarter at home, they have been outscored 63 to nothing. Um, Those are games against Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Boston College, and this past Saturday against Miami. Past four home games, 63 to nothing. They've been outscored in the third quarter, which doesn't really equate to a whole lot of wins last time I checked. Seems bad, Mike. Seems bad. Not good. Um, no. And in the game this week, again, they were down just 17-14 at halftime, but by the start of the fourth quarter, they're down 38-14, to right? I mean, the whole thing just mushroomed and snowballed on them, and it was it was bad. So dumpster fire of the week goes to the Hokies in their halftime adjustments, and understandably so. Last one, Mike, the Go ACC moment of the week goes to my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And I I mentioned this earlier, talking about how they won this game on special teams. I tweeted this out at one point uh, in the second quarter, I believe, maybe late in the first quarter. 
Georgia Tech had taken a 13-7 lead over the Cavaliers, and it was just how they drew it up, Mike. And it went like this. They had kicked a field goal. They had gotten a safety. They returned the free kick off the safety for a touchdown, and then they got a two-point conversion. Uh, Georgia Tech overall in this game, again, they went 4-4 of four on field goals. They had a safety kick, a kick return for a touchdown and two two-point conversions that's a that's a you know just how they drew it up, Mike. That's how you win a game thirty to twenty seven is by doing all those things. I you know we we see that all the time, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's normal. It's normal. Yeah, totally normal. By the way, that's how you end up with a win percentage of one percent in a game where you win thirty to twenty seven. That that's. That's correct. And we were talking about the Go ACC moment of the week and, you know, what it should be. And you tweeted out literally from the stands this sequence. I mean, you're like, hashtag Go ACC. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is a home run. This has to be the sequence. This has to be the pick this week. Yeah. And, and most, most specifically, the Go ACC moment was a three play sequence that only involved one play from scrimmage where Georgia Tech records the safety. Runs back a kickoff for a touchdown and then gets a two-point conversion off of that. So they they scored 10 points in three plays, including just one play from scrimmage, which that might be about the only mathematical way you can do that, Mike. Um, Super, super weird game. Georgia Tech basically wins it on special teams, thanks in part to that Go ACC moment of the week sequence of three plays for 10 points. Uh, Mike, I have one more thing for you while we're on here. Oh, do you? I do. We have a a late breaking question as we sit here record Tuesday evening from our good friend, Mr. Andrew Parker, who is trying to retain his crown of uh, King question asker on this podcast. Sorry, Keith Derrick. Andrew asks us based on our uh, most recently found out rankings. So why are Pitt and Syracuse ranked? And Mike, I don't have a good answer for you. No, I don't know. Actually posed the Syracuse question to you before we hit record. I'm like, hey, why is Syracuse 20th? Um, because they've been about the closest to beating Clemson that anybody has. That's best I got. Ignore the Trevor yeah. Lawrence piece of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think people have this false impression of Syracuse. Oh, so, yeah, Syracuse is pretty good. They hung with Clemson that one time. Um, and then we remember that, oh, Clemson was playing with a third-string quarterback most of that game. It's like, oh, okay. People forget yeah. that. People forget the entire, that. The entire second half plus like a significant part of the f- second quarter, that was the Chase Bryce show. And he was – I don't think he was a walk-on, but he was like kind of the emergency quarterback on the roster. And Kelly Bryant had transferred, and then Trevor Lawrence goes out with an injury, and all of a sudden it's, it's the Chase Bryce show. And they got it done. But other than that, I, I mean – Pittsburgh, on the other hand, seven and four. They've got some wins: Albany, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Duke, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Wake. They've also got drilled by Penn State. They got drilled by UCF. They're the only F, uh, FBS team that UNC has beaten, and they also gave Notre Dame a game. I guess you give them that. But I, I don't know. I don't think Pitt's all that good. I don't think Syracuse is all that good. At least not good enough to be ranked at this point. Yeah, 2018 in college football, you get brownie points for not getting drilled and looking good losing, um, even more so than usual because a lot of the teams this year aren't very good. So you're seeing that with Syracuse, looking good in a losing effort on the road. 
You see that with Pittsburgh looking good in a losing effort on the road at Notre Dame. Um, two teams that are obviously um, entrenched in a college football playoff race. So I guess that's why. And I guess Pitt's gone on a run here where they've looked pretty good over the last month or so. But look at their wins. Look at who they've beaten. You look at Syracuse. Obviously, Notre Dame game notwithstanding, they've been pretty good over the past month or so as well. You see teams start to pile up wins. They're from a major conference. And our conference is not very good this year, Joey, but that doesn't matter because these teams are, quote, unquote, better than a lot of people thought they would be. I think Pitt is right around what we thought, quite honestly. I think Syracuse is better on paper um, as far as wins and losses are concerned than we thought they would be. But it's a really hollow eight-win year, if that makes any sense whatsoever, for a Syracuse program that really hasn't even sniffed eight wins in quite a long time. Put it this way, Mike, Syracuse ranked higher than Pittsburgh in S&P Plus at number 48. Syracuse at number 48, Pittsburgh at number 54. Um, those teams are top 25 by the playoff committee. They are barely top 50 by S&P Plus, which is, in a lot of ways, it is uh, unbiased. So, yeah, if I tell you that those teams aren't particularly good, that's what I'm referring to. So I'm, I am perhaps a hater, but I'm not that much of a hater. I have data and math and numbers and stuff. Nope. Not the big of a hater. It's all good. Yeah. That's all I got. Uh, Mike, we need to get out of here. We need to uh, come back and preview our last weekend of games. We've got to move on to week 13, and uh, it's going to be a busy one. Um, last thing before we do, we both had a good weekend. Again, we said to begin the show, we both went 5-2 and two, uh, on our picks of the week. Uh, I won my pick of the week, uh, NC State minus the 16 and a half against Louisville. You missed yours, Boston College minus the one and a half against Florida State. Currently on the year, you lead 45-39-2. I'm at 43-41-2, just two games behind. Picks of the week, we are tied at 6-6, six and six, just as picks of the week were meant to be. Um, so you uh, you have a slight lead, but overall we've been, uh, we've been pretty, pretty good on our picks. Not bad. You can take that. Uh, Mike, we're going to move on to these week 13 previews. We got the last set of games for the year until we move on to championship weekend. Um, there will actually be a couple of quote unquote regular season games that weekend as well, but we'll get to those when we get to them. Uh, in the meantime, folks can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB and together we're at BC podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address, no demand basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Also by Twitter or Facebook or all these different methods. So thank you, Andrew Parker, for hitting us up on the uh, on the Twitters. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And tell them where they can find us on the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. If you're like getting uh, just totally sick of your family time at Thanksgiving here this week, and you need something to do, go find us on Facebook, hit the like button, share us with your friends, and send us a question. The DMs are open, so please do that. Uh, you can also find us on YouTube if you want to watch videos of us. Um, you can check out Mike's sweet vacation home in Florida. He's on the playing a road show this week, so he's got a nice tree decoration behind him, so go check that out. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and uh, preview these Week 13 games? Do it one last time? I do, buddy. I do, yes, buddy. We got we to gotta get this thing down here. We sure do. We sure do. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until next time, go ACC.